Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 73 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Paul Floyd about how to leave a small law firm in a small town on good terms. Today's podcast is sponsored by Zero, beautiful legal accounting simplified. Find out more at xero.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Abacus Private Cloud. Future-proof your firm by going virtual. Learn more at abacusprivatecloud.com slash lawyerist. If you enjoy this show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast to help us keep new episodes coming every week. So Sam, last Thursday, I guess now a week ago, once this airs, um, I attended the first day of the Minnesota State Bar Association convention. Mm -hmm. And at that convention, um, we heard from Mark Lanterman, who's a computer forensics expert. Um, He owns a company called Computer Forensics Services, which is a very creative business name for what he does. (laughs) Um, And he was going through a list of um, cybersecurity horror stories that he thought the audience might find useful. Um, Hmm. And this has nothing to do with law practice, but it's just frightening stuff. He was talking about all the credit card hacks and different things that were interesting, but one that I had never heard of um, that he at least claims to have had a role in revealing is that there are some uh, hotel room key cards that actually store your name credit card number, expiration date, and checkout date yeah. on the Meg strip of the hotel key card that can be read by any Meg strip reader. I actually had heard that before, and I think I wrote a post about it on my Consumer Law blog uh, a few years ago. Um, it's it's astonishing. I mean, it's it's up there with like war drones that are communicate with the ground via unencrypted uh, radio waves. <laughs> yeah. So he was telling a story about being at a hacker conference and at, which was at a Vegas casino hotel. And he said, Hey, will three of you, uh, loan me your room cards for just a second. And he on the screen swipes it in his Meg strip reader and it shows their name, credit card number, expiration date, checkout date without any special equipment. I mean, a Meg strip reader isn't, isn't proprietary. <laughs> and, and presumably, there are just like these cards are everywhere. Yeah, and you leave and, them behind in your room, or you don't really think it's a big deal if you lose them. The the amount of just casual insecurity out there is astonishing. Sometimes there's just so much stuff waiting for people to go. Oh, wait a second! I wonder what's on this thing. Yeah, I mean, we talk so much about encryption and backup and VPNs, and then there are just like these things just sitting out there wide out in the open. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. There was an article last week from Felix Salmon um, who did a test where he gave the bank routing number and checking account number that are plainly visible on any check he writes to a friend. And that friend went to AmericanExpress.com, asked for an ACH transfer and transferred money out of his bank account without any other passwords, permissions, not even his name or (laughs) birth date. Just the numbers plainly visible on the front of every check he's ever written. And they could just take money out of his account without any other authorization. 
Wow. It's like we worry we worry about all this sophisticated stuff and there are some big holes in our system without any work at all. I mean, last week I talked about, you know, how not to panic about um, technology breaches. <laughs> but um, but the bottom line is if somebody wants your data, it's not that hard to get it. If they want to get to your accounts specifically, if somebody's targeting you, it's not that hard to make your life a living hell, um, at least online. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the lesson here is, of course. Like, what do you? So Mark Mark's suggestion for the hotel key card is a don't lose them, and then b when you check out, don't leave them in the room for the maid to pick up. Don't throw right. them in the garbage. Take them with you, and then shred them. Yeah, I mean the, the upside is you know that's a very um, local thing that would have to happen, right? Somebody has to get access to your key card and be the kind of person who knows how to swipe it and get the information off of it. So, but it doesn't, um, if that's only if it's a directed attack, if it's not, then you could just walk around a hotel looking for dropped key cards. Oh, absolutely. And hopefully though, that, I mean, that, that seems like less of a risk to me than, you know, somebody's able to just, you know, crawl across the internet looking for, um, vulnerabilities, but maybe it's the same sort of thing. I don't know. Don't lose your key card is the bottom line. Yeah. And apparently <laughs> like don't have paper checks anymore. Yeah, I guess so. Or maybe, maybe you need like scratch and sniff over the routing number or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, our deputy editor, Lisa, always says when it, when one of these things comes out, she says she's doing all of her writing from now on on clay tablets buried in her backyard. I think so. <laughs> well, on that uh, optimistic note, let's move over to something a little bit more positive and talk to Paul Floyd about leaving a small firm in a small town on good terms. Hello, my name is Paul Floyd. I'm looking forward to being a part of this webcast today. I'm in a three-person law firm located in Minneapolis. We integrate business and law. That's our focus. We're looking at working with businesses and individuals that are small, mid-sized companies. And I've been practicing now for 30-plus years. I've been practicing in a small firm for 14 years. The practice area that I like and enjoy practicing in is helping professionals, doctors, dentists, uh, lawyers, set up, manage, uh, market, and then close down, if possible, succession planning for law firms and other professional firms. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you're currently the president of the County Bar Association, right? That's right. As of July 1st, I'll be the president of the uh, HCBA, which is the Minneapolis Metro Bar. Gotcha. Oh, so you're not quite. Um, But our bar has a sort of a... um, being the the leadership sort of rolls into it. So you're, as I understand it, you're the president-elect and then you're the president and then you're the outgoing president or something like that, right? Yeah, they handed me the gavel at the annual meeting. So there was a lunch and they had a chance to begin the process of being the leader. Yes. So I, I'm curious about uh, the being a bar president and, and your involvement in leadership in the bar. Um, wh- what's your best pitch for why should someone uh, aspire to bar leadership as you have? What does it, what does it, what does it get you? What, is it, what kind of satisfaction does it bring you or, or what's the reason to do it? Sure. Uh, for me, it's a matter of integrating, I think, the way I view the pra- my practice which really does focus on lawyers and mm-hmm. law firms and what's currently happening in the marketplace. Bar associations are in transition. A lot of baby boomers are retiring. A lot of millennials and youngers are thinking, why should I even join a bar association? I think chances for leadership, I've enjoyed that. Chance to give back to the community as well as to other lawyers, be a mentor. 
uh, and then pay it forward. All those kind of, I think, things that actually not only help the Bar Association, but help me become a better lawyer personally and also professionally. We will see when I'm talking today on the topic we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, I think it's important to have both a personal aspect as well as a career, as well as a bigger picture of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And so the Bar Association helps you both on professional level but also on your own personal development. And so I've enjoyed that part of getting to know other people and lead as well as to be uh, mentored by others as well. Uh, I'm curious if you have thoughts on, um, my understanding is that lots of bar associations that are voluntary, like the one that we have here, are experiencing um, shrinkage in in membership. And do you have a sense uh, or an idea of what you think is to blame for that and how you are going to try and go about turning that around. Yeah, I think baby boomers, by and large, joined. They joined a lot of associations. It was good on their resume. They looked, they enjoyed the signing up and paying their dues. <laughs> they felt they were giving back in a way, and they were financially, but it didn't require a lot of commitment. One of the things that the bar associations, particularly Hennepin County and the State Bar of Minnesota, were working hard to try to do is to figure out member value. How do we go back to what we are about, and how can our members get some value? We'll find that it could be as simple as believe it or not, signing up and getting fast case or getting uh, ability to access cases for free uh, as part of your, it's not free, but it's part of your dues. Or getting CLEs, we have free free CLEs for lunch. So Mm -hmm. you can get all of your CLE credits without paying anything more than your dues. So this is giving people directly back what they view as valuable. I think historically bar associations really didn't listen much to (laughs) members because it didn't matter. Now you have to look at your core and say, okay, we may be losing 300 people a year. How do we keep, we have 8,000, how do we keep the 4,000 or five or six motivated? It may be as small as only 1,000, but you've got to have a core. I think historically it didn't matter. You just had the numbers, the cash came in, and you got kind of lazy. And this is true about law firms in some way. I think we now have to start to be thinking about the future, not the way we've always done it, but how can we do it better? And how can people then say, hey, I'm getting something for my dues or getting something for being a member. You know, I, I wonder too, though, if um, some some of the newer, younger lawyers uh, place too much emphasis on the idea of value and getting out what you pay for. Because I think there's a huge value in networking, professional, and, and I hate to use the term networking because it sounds like such a quid pro quo and I hate people who show up with stacks of business cards, but I mean like making professional friends. Yes. And socializing in your profession. And I think that's underrated. I, when I started, I had a lawyer, who, a senior partner, who took me aside and said, Paul, you're going to be practicing in an area that's a niche. It was uh, eminent domain. Mm-hmm. And there's one section, Hennepin County, which was local, not the state, but the uh, Minneapolis. And you need to go to that section because the lawyers who, there are experts in their field, and you'll be across the table from them. There's only a handful of them. And they'll be kind to you. They will tell you things. They will help you. And then you will grow in your in your litigation, in your uh, transaction work in that area. Boy, I really liked it. I could pick the phone up and call somebody. Even as a lawyer who had been only out two or three years, I could pick the phone up and call Jim, and I'd say, Jim, what's going on? Or I'd call uh, Mary, and I'd say, Mary, what's about this commissioner? What about... And it's hmm. that kind of a personal touch that isn't lost in, in some ways, even with social media today. It's in some ways 
just as important. I know we have the listservs, and I use those a lot and enjoy those. Funny thing is, when you go to a social event or you meet someone in person, all of a sudden you put a name to a, a name and a face, you go, wow, you're the person on the listserv who does. And all of a sudden that personal relationship doubles down, so to speak, or adds a lot of extra to just knowing the person's competent or they're answering questions or you have a friendship online. There is a, there's still a relational aspect to it. So we focus a lot on social bar member socials where people are a chance to actually meet each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do that both at the state level and at the um, local level, both on CLEs as well as just members to get together and, as you said, network. But I think it's just to have renew and find relationships. You mean like softball clubs and stuff? Yes. Uh, we have a photo club that's quite popular, and I enjoy oh, yeah. it. amazing part is we don't talk about the law at all, right. but we connect on, a, on a, I think, a personal level and enjoy it. So part of the practice, since we're doing it so much, uh, we I kind of go with the view, I work to live, I don't live to work. So I actually enjoy working with lawyers, but I, uh, on my own time, I tend not to socialize. I'm finding that lawyers have a lot in common if we can put aside the law. Yeah, that's a that's a good perspective, and I I don't think of myself as a particularly nostalgic person, so I don't think I um, I don't think I'm advocating for more professional friendships out of any sense of nostalgia. I think it's just more that there's really no substitute for FaceTime. I think that's right. In fact, strangely enough, I think it's becoming probably more important than it did historically. I think it's becoming much more valuable. It's like, I, you know, I see no point in owning cheap pens anymore because I use pens so infrequently. I might as well use a nice one when I'm going to use one. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think professional relationships are in some ways similar. Um, they're much more valuable and you might as well take better care of them because we do less of it. Well, that'll lead us into the question that just came in from the person, because he's asking a good question. He's saying, basically, I'm in a small town. I'm thinking about, I I like my comp area. I'm competent in my area. I've got a niche. I enjoy it. I'm respected as a competent lawyer. Now I'm thinking about maybe I should leave because my senior partners, they're not really up to speed on where I want to go. I kind of see the practice I think he's talking from the operational side. I think so. Uh, differently. Uh, and I'm wondering if now's the time for me to start my own thing. I don't want to burn bridges. What do you suggest when I'm thinking about possibly opening my own firm or joining another firm or leaving? Yeah, so this question came from, uh, I think it was an email or, or in, in response to a, uh, uh, an email I sent out asking for topics. And he pointed out, like, look, I'm going to be practicing with this these lawyers for the next 30 years in one office or another in the same small town. So how do I go out on my own without, um, without ruining those relationships? There's a book that's very helpful in this area called The Founder's Dilemmas. It's by Norm Wasserman. He's a Harvard business professor. He looks at it and says, basically, as a founder in a law firm, that could be a startup or you're leaving a firm or you're starting your own law firm. And that's kind of what this guy's asking. Should I leave? Even if he's going to join another firm, the same questions apply, which is, is now the time for me to leave and do something different. Mm-hmm. And Norm says, well, there are three things you got to look at to make sure the timing's right. And he points out, you can't always get all three of them together. If two of the three align, then you're probably at a good time. He's mm-hmm. just suggesting all three is a perfect, but life is seldom perfect. One of those is on a personal level. 
And his question is, do you have, as a, uh, when you're in life, on a, on a personal do you have support from your family or whatever it is, whoever your support groups are? Are they supportive of you going out? I remember when I left one law firm and went to another firm, I, I, I called my wife and said, I'm leaving the firm I'm at. It was a nice firm, got paid really good money. <laughs> uh, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know, but I'm going to meet with my lawyer friend, uh, and we're just going to talk for dinner. Uh, and I went off. And I came back home about 11 o'clock at night, all excited, and my wife said, so why are you quitting? I said, oh, I want to start my own law firm. She said, well, at least you could have talked to me about it. <laughs> and I learned right then, you need to make sure that your family is on board. That is a fair because... objection. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I like a steady paycheck, and I'm not sure I'm going to get one. And I said, you know, I, that was a lesson learned, which is you need to make sure your family is where you are at, because your support people actually help you. You also need to ask, are you personally at a place where you want to do that? Maybe you need to take some more time on a personal level. Things are, you're having children, or maybe it's complicated in your family. Maybe you've got some kids in college and you're having stress. You've got to look, is now the time to do that, or should I hold off? So you've got to look at it from a personal standpoint. You also have to look at it from a career standpoint. Um, and that is whether or not at this point in your career you need to do it, and you should do it. And it's either join another firm, leave this firm. That's a good question for this individual, which is mm-hmm. he, he likes the people he's working with, but, and he has a niche. It sounds to me like he knows what he does and feels competent now. So he feels from the competent standpoint, I can go out and do it. But he's really wondering, if I leave now, will they view it as a disloyal? Will I have burned bridges? Will, I, will they think less of me? Hmm. My advice to him in part is, you know, no one expects you to stay at one law firm all of your career. The question is, when do you leave, not if, I think. You might stay there all your whole life, but it's n- no one thinks less of you ultimately that you left. The question is, when did you leave? And how did you leave? I think so, how is kind of maybe one of the big uh, questions, but also, um, you know, what what sort of uh, person is your boss? I, I, I left two small firms um, and one of the lawyers that I worked for, um, we do occasionally stay in touch. Uh, he answers my phone calls whenever I call. Um, we've gotten lunch a few times. Um, we've stayed in touch. Um, the other lawyer won't even return my phone calls uh, after I left because he it was sort of a family practice where he. Um, he wanted to keep his, you know, he, he felt like I should be obligated to stay with him, I think. And um, mm-hmm. and I don't think I did much different between those two practices, but one of them had more, um, they just had different approaches, I guess. I think one of the things to do is to try to, on a piece of paper, put down what does the firm I'm currently at, what are the senior partners or lawyers that are going to stay here, what do they value and how can I encourage that or not undercut that value? Now, it doesn't mean you have to value the same thing, but it's good to understand that. When I was at a firm, uh, we left to open up a new firm. One of the things I said was, I don't want to take any associates because I know that the senior partners in the other firm value loyalty. They don't mind me leaving, mm-hmm. but they don't want me to take away an associate. Oh, by the way, I didn't need to take that associate. <laughs> I could find someone else. So I honored my departure by not trying to make a problem, which I knew the senior people would be upset about. Now, I represent and advise a number of lawyers departing from law firms, and sometimes the, the senior partners or other lawyers go, take the people with you. Uh, we don't need them. They're part of your team. You know, that's fine. So you've got to be looking at what 
why would you leave? Who would you go with? And what does the firm you're leaving from, what do they value and what do you value? Um, we're going to take two minutes from our sponsors. And uh, when we come back, um, I want to talk about uh, sort of how do you start the conversation with your current employer? Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is, you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant, tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Xero. Get a free trial at Xero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. Beautiful accounting software. Did you know that law firms are the seventh highest target for cyber criminals? Breaches in security could cost you your clients, your reputation, and ultimately your firm. Protect your firm from cyber attacks with Abacus Private Cloud, the compliance-ready, fully managed desktop-as-a-service engineered to safeguard your firm against cyber threats. Abacus Private Cloud is brought to you by Abacus Data Systems, a leading provider of business technology products and solutions, including Abacus Law, simplifying your practice management since 1983. Learn more at abacusprivatecloud.com slash lawyerist. And we're back. Uh, so, Paul, how would you start the conversation with your current employer? Uh, I mean, at some point you have to sit down and say, um, either I quit or I'm thinking about quitting and starting my own firm. Like, wh- how, what, what would you do? Each firm's different. So, mm-hmm. you, I think you have to think about how have people in the past left your firm. Some firms, you can have a discussion six months or even a year in advance. Other firms, that discussion happens very much shorter. Mm-hmm. And in part, it's a question of how do they view you? In other words, do the senior partners see you as a potential to be a jo- join them as a partner level, or do they see you as uh, uh, not as a peer but as a junior? One of the keys for me when I look at my own law firm and advise others I think most firms are successful if they can view the lawyers as peers. The moment that you're dealing with a person who's a junior and a senior, the junior person honestly will never, most likely will never be viewed by the senior person as a peer. Now, when I joined a firm, a a 13-person firm, there were two senior lawyers. I never could be their peer. I could become a partner in their firm, but I would never be the Hmm. equal. I see. I think one of the things that's behind this this uh, comment here is he sees a cultural difference. He's wondering if he because he's trying to suggest some new things, and the senior attorneys are slow to adopt it, or they're not giving him a. It sounds like they have a pretty traditional law practice, and he wants to yeah. try some innovative things. And when you're doing innovation, one of the keys for me is remember that the senior lawyer has a short time frame. Mm-hmm. They don't want to learn new things. <laughs> they don't want to break what's not broken. They don't want to start something that's not. And the junior person saying, well, you know, I'd like to learn it now because there's a sharp learning curve. And the, more, the quicker I learn it, the better. And I think we need to do that for the future, meaning 10 years, 15, mm-hmm. 20 years. The senior attorney may be thinking only five or 10 years out. They're, 20 years from now, they're not even thinking. I feel like so, I should plug our previous podcast at this point where you talk about um, you know that how how to sell your practice basically by transitioning out of it, and it's probably worth um, considering that framework of thinking about it when you think about what sorts of changes might be viable at this point. Uh, and so I think that forward thinking that the younger person has, he he will. Uh, I I think th- I, I suspect the senior attorneys have heard that 
or seen that and they're okay. So part of it, I think he can have a frank discussion with them, which is, you know, I think I'm the same niche you are, same area of practice. I think culturally, the way the way we do things, not who we are, but the way we do things, is different. And I'd like to have my own firm. And I'm interested in doing it right. What would you recommend me to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think having a frank discussion with a senior partner can, in fact, be a productive, particularly if there's a history they don't show you the door, because they want him to be successful, too. Remember, he's going to refer back, and they want that relationship. I think the key is to have it, making sure you have the discussion with the right person uh, at the right time, right time probably when you're really thinking about leaving, and you've got a time frame probably four, uh, uh, probably four weeks, eight weeks. Because it seems to me you have to be prepared for the response to be pack your things and get out. That is one yeah. possible response. That's right. And if that's the case, then you need to be more proactive. Yeah. Uh, setting up your own firm or thinking about that or moving that way. If on the other, or joining another firm. If on the other hand, this is truly a mentoring relationship and you've got a senior partner, then you can have that discussion which says, what's a time for a good time for transition. Now, the one firm I left, transition always happened in January for lots of reasons, not the least of which we got bonus <laughs> on December 31st, and then you turned your notice in in January. But the firm understood that. And so a discussion happened in January when they did, or in December when they did job reviews. And in January, you'd go in and you'd say, I'm thinking about starting my own firm. Is it going to be in the next three months, six months? What works? And the firm would then work with you on current cases and on what's mm. going on, and then you transition out. I transitioned out with about four to six weeks from that firm um, and joined another attorney. Um, interesting enough, uh, I took some business with me. I left some business behind, and we've had a good relationship. I try not to burn bridges. Sometimes you cannot... And honestly, sometimes you're just going to offend somebody because they just are upset. They think you're disloyal, and it's just the difference in the way you practice law. You know, the other, the flip side is the the first lawyer I mentioned that I worked for um, actually raised it with me. He said, your goal should be to start your own practice. Um, if you really want to make money and, and have a good life as a lawyer, then you should start your own practice. And he actually kind of urged me to think of that as my ultimate goal from, I think, almost the day I started there. It seems to me that the other question you might need to be prepared for when you walk in to have uh, the conversation about going out on your own is, what would it take to keep you here? That That's yeah. another question you might get. And in fact, I in my third year of practice, I had looked at a bigger firm and um, I walked into my senior partner's office and said, I'll be leaving. It looks like I'll be joining this other firm. And he said, what would it take to keep you? And I said, wow, I never even thought that could happen. And he said, yeah, what would it do? And I said, well, I think for five grand, I'd stay. Now that was back when I got 30 grand as a salary. <laughs> and he said, that could happen. It's done. Yeah. And I said, great, because I really don't want to leave. But financially, it was an offer too good to pass up. And so, if you're a good lawyer and your senior partner wants you, I think you have to look at the possibility of what that means. Um, and, and that may be really good. It may be a good relationship. It may not just be money. It may be adding a staff person. Maybe you need to have time off. One of the things I negotiated when I joined one firm was I take a vacation every two years for three weeks. That was important because I needed time off. But the other year, other years, I only took one week. So I got two weeks a year, but I added three together. That was a negotiated item. I joined the firm, and for 12 years, I did that. It worked really well for them and for me. 
It's, it was just a non-cash item that I wanted for my own personal uh, uh, life so that I, my wife and I were able to actually have some time off because we did litigation, and it was very intense and stressful, and I needed some time away from the office. It sounds like this lawyer, um, he might want to negotiate something different. Um, it might be along the lines of, look, you know, I see my practice, my, my practice as a lawyer lasting 10, 15, 20 years longer than yours, and I think that in order for me to do that, I can't expect to build my own book of business the way you have. And so I need your support in innovating the way that we bring in business or the way that we serve our clients or the way that we um, build our, our public reputation or, or whatever. Um, you know, you, you may need to state that in terms of, look, this is working for you, but it's not going to work for me. Um, and in order for me to build a future here... I need some leeway to do things differently. And uh, my guess is that's an easy yes from the employer, actually. I think so, because that could be updating the website. It might be social media. It might be hiring a person to do some writing. It might be blogging. It might be podcasting. It might be something that this person says, you know, I can get my name out there. I, I see social media differently than you do. Yes, there's downsides, but there's upsides. Yeah, and I think most employers are going to say, if they're smart, they're going to say, how can we work with you so that this firm can transition 10 years from now, 15 years from now, into the firm of the future? Um, one of the, the other the other area you need to look at so personal career the third one and this is the key one that sometimes people forget is the market conditions boy in 208 that would have been a tough time to jump ship mm -hmm. uh, today I think it's very different and you have to look at your own I think micro area not just the whole state or the country but what's happening in the city or town or region that you're in is now the time to do it I myself have held off at times knowing that either the market's harder I'm not I don't have the right clients yet. I'm working on that. Uh, I don't have the reputation yet. It's one of the reasons I like being in the uh, Bar Association. I had joined the Federal Bar, which is a litigation-based federal court-type bar here in the Twin Cities. Only 400 members in those days. I think there were 250. Boy, you got to know all the judges, and you got to know all the lawyers uh, who you practice with and were across the table from. But being the president of that bar association brought me some credibility as a young lawyer, 40 years old, that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't stepped up to the plate and said, I'll do some leadership in that regard. Small niche area, nice bar, made sense. Being a member of the state bar would have made no sense. No, that might be different if I was doing transactional work or a section made some sense. But in my litigation practice, you got to think about how do you develop your career and what's the marketplace doing at any given time. Mm -hmm. The final thing I want to be, he notes in his book, and I think it's really good, we need to be careful about clouding our judgment with too much optimism. I noted a little bit in this, this email, you know, I know I'll be successful if I open my own law firm. I don't want to turn that down. I want to encourage that. But sometimes... As, as younger lawyers, I know I was a little naive in thinking, yep, I'll be able to open my firm and make a ton of money on my own. It, that optimism sometimes is good, but it can be misplaced. And particularly with the entrepreneurial spirit, I sense, I sense this individual does have that spirit in him. He wants to be an entrepreneur. He wants to have his own firm or at least have more say. Yeah. And that's good. You just have to realize sometimes passion needs to be turned down a bit or made realistic. And uh, Norm's point in his book, The Founder's Dilemmas, is a lot of startup people start up and fail. About 90% of most firms don't make it 10 years, startups. Yeah. And I would say it's true about professional firms. So you've got to be 
it's good to have passion. It's good to be excited about doing your own firm or joining another firm, but you also have to be wise. There's not no risk. There is some risk. And um, although I think uh, I think starting a, a law firm, a solo practice is, um, I think if you work hard, you can do okay. Um, but I think to really prosper is a is a challenge, and so it, I say you'll make a living, yeah. but you won't get rich. I think it's pretty, yeah. I think it's pretty easy to not fail outright, um, but I think it's really easy to just survive for in perpetuity. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of lawyers out there doing a little more than surviving. There's a smaller portion of the the bar that are actually prospering and succeeding in their own practices or in small firms. The one point I wanted to leave with this this individual is I did not know, I couldn't tell from the email whether or not he's a solo, a true person that likes to be on his own, or whether he's a team player. Mm-hmm. I, If you're a team player, you need to make sure not only that you're ready, but that the people you're connecting with, they're ready both personally, career-wise, and marketplace. Marketplace is less of an issue then because really you're coming out together in a group to say our firm is going to practice law in this area. And interestingly enough, when most people open their law firm, even on solos, there's an excitement that clients have, that other lawyers have. And so there is an upbeat. Your first year is generally better than you thought. (laughs) Uh, but you got to ask yourself, are you a person that does it by yourself? I've always been a team player. I like other people. I, it makes life a little easier, not as lonely. I get better competence. I'm a better lawyer because of them and a business person. So I could not do it on my own. So I have to ask, are other people at this time ready to jump ship or start a new firm or leave? And he doesn't address that, but I think that's a key question to ask. I think so. And, you know, I think... Um I've often said that um, the best advice on going to law school is that you probably shouldn't. But if you're the sort of stubborn person that is going to ignore that advice and go anyway, you might be just the right sort of person to prosper in law school. And the same is true for um, people who want to start their own law firm. Um, it's it's a big challenge, but if you're the kind of stubborn person who's going to go and do it anyway, that is the kind of tenacity that it takes. I've had a number of lawyers in large firms where I go to lunch with them, and they're actually, I think trying to feel out whether they should start their own firm. Mm-hmm. And I normally say something, which is what I would say to a young person thinking about starting, going to law school. If you believe later in life you will have regretted not trying it, then you should take a semester, go. If you like in the law school, if you like it and you're jazzed and you do well and someone in your family's a lawyer or you think you're going to really like it and your grades are good, hey, you'll be successful. You made the right choice. If you're not, you don't like it, you're bored, you find it's not what you thought, hey, there's nothing wrong with taking a semester, paying whatever that bill is, and move on. Don't go for three years and get the degree, because you won't regret having gone to law school. With that same thought, if you want to start your own firm, there's nothing wrong with starting a firm, because later I know a number of lawyers who regret having never really been their own boss or done their own uh, own thing. And I think if you're going to be that kind of person, don't do the regret part. Try it. Uh, if you succeed, you'll love it. And if you don't succeed, hey, at least you tried it and you'll move on to something else. I think that's right. And so uh, maybe to sort of wrap up um, some of the things we've said, I think um, to this individual or to anybody else who's trying to leave a small firm in a small town to go solo, um, maybe the last bit of, of advice, I guess, that I would say is um, when you when you start that process and you start those conversations, 
um, make it a positive conversation. It's about what you feel like you need to do. Um, it's that you see opportunity um, to go out on your own and you feel like it's something you need to try. Don't make it about how you feel stuck or how your firm is inadequate or how you don't like it there because those criticisms are going to last a really long time in a small market with people that you're going to see again. So to the extent you can, um, I think leave on good terms. It, I think it probably means um, holding back those criticisms and framing it in terms of here's what I want to do and here's what I feel like I need to do. Um, kind of it's not you, it's me. Um, I think that might help the conversation. Hundred percent, I agree. Hundred percent, solid advice. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Paul, and uh, good luck on your term as president. Hey, thank you. To make sure you catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to the Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com/podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.